being on billboards and buses and, and billboards on 285, like my face, to being unemployed, not once, not twice, but three times. And people knowing you in the unemployment office and knowing that they used to listen to you on the radio. You um, waiting on that $300 every Thursday um, morning when you would make $300 an hour for a club appearance. You know what I mean? So really going through, the, I've been through the fire. I really, really have. Um, but I'm glad that I'm here and able to talk about it. I truly have a testimony. I truly have a testimony. Welcome to the Pretty Girl Sweat Show, which highlights women who are balancing demanding careers with a healthy lifestyle and hurtling over personal and professional obstacles. Each week, I have a sister-to-sister chat with an inspiring go-getter, and listeners learn how good things come to those who sweat. Hey, Sweat Sisters, you're listening to Episode 7 of the Pretty Girl Sweat Show, and today our guest is Rashawn Ali. You may know the multimedia personality, wife, mother of two daughters, cool soror, and philanthropist as one of the co-hosts of the daily talk show Sister Circle on TV One. But by the end of this episode, you'll learn how her passion for sports became the foundation for her success and so much more. If this is your first time listening, what up? You could be anywhere in the world and you're here with me and I really appreciate that. If you love what you hear, take a second to subscribe to the podcast so you get updates every time we drop a new episode. If you got half a second, leave a rating, which will help other sweat sisters in need of some inspiration find our podcast. If you have a minute, please follow us across all social media platforms. We are at Pretty Girl Sweat on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and YouTube. Use the hashtag Pretty Girl Sweat when sharing this episode. And if you have five minutes, please leave a review and let us know how we're doing. <laughs> I know so much about you, but our audience <laughs> needs to <laughs> learn more. So let's just start from the beginning. Tell us about your childhood. Wow. Okay. So my childhood was was great. I mean, you know, looking back on those times. Um, I mean, I grew up in a traditional two-parent home. My parents, college educated, they both have their masters. And my dad was an English teacher and a legendary football coach. My mom was a social worker. She actually was the director of social services at Emory Hospital in the 80s. So not a lot of black executives in, um, you know, in healthcare around that time. So she you know, she she led the whole the entire uh, social work department um, at such a huge hospital. So, highly stressful job. But um, you know, she, she she exemplified black girl magic before it was a thing. And um, so, I mean, I have an older brother. He's four years older than me. And you know, we we did the thing. We did the Saturday mornings at the um, the local park playing football. I was a cheerleader. Like you're you're. Your typical, um, you know, great African American family. I mean, I always say we were like the guys mixed with a little bit of The Simpsons because we had a little bit, we had a whole lot of laughter uh, going on in our home. And uh, I think I had, you know, what every child that if they could think of what a good childhood would be, I, I, I would hope mine would be um, uh, an example of that. And I, and I'm, and I know that that is the foundation um, for who I have become as a woman, certainly my childhood. So, wow, I guess your parents. Yeah. I mean, we can give them a high five pat on the back for all of that because do you think it really depended on their occupations in like the health and sports field? That's why you guys lived that childhood? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I know that that had a lot lot to do with it. Um, They were on the same page when it came to that. Um, My mom was actually a Pop Warner football coach. So not only was my dad a football coach at, at, at high schools, at a, a few high schools before he landed at Southwest Cat, where he kind of built his legacy. But my mom was, you know, always um, into sports as well. And she coached football and like she was the ultimate tomboy. And so I got that honest for sure. Wow. <laughs> so you pretty much fit in as a, a kid with your peers, I would assume. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I adjusted well with anyone. I mean, I, you know, I, I was... When I came out the womb, I had a cool little personality, <laughs> so I can adapt to any, to adapt to anything. Coupled with you know the way that we were raised, I think, um, yeah, you know, I was able to adapt to anything. And then you know, my well, I shared my parents 
my dad, you know, being a, a high school football coach, you know, you share your lives with so many, uh, not only young men, but young women. He was an English teacher and a, a very, very uh, good English teacher. So here you got a guy who is uh, an amazing football coach and sent, sends these, these, these boys to college every year, but he can also quote and teach Shakespeare and, you know, make, have a critical analysis of man, child in the promised land, like very, very deep, um, uh, astute and intellectual person, but was, you know, a mean, a mean <laughs> coach, you know, that old school coach on the field, but they both, uh, were able to balance out, you know, sharing and spreading their, uh, parental love, uh, so to speak, with other children, but making sure that we uh, had our own times. So I never felt like I had to, um, ch- they had to choose between, you know, the people that they were uh, mentoring in, in, so, in some respects and us. We always had our times. So. Mm. English teacher. Yeah. So you were a pretty good student. <laughs> yeah. Right. Through elementary school. Yeah, I was all right. I was, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, 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 I was a great student. <laughs> I ain't even gonna lie. I was. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I, I graduated um, second in my class. Well, co-salutatorian, there's two of us who had the same wow. and, Yeah. And then I graduated in, even in, because elementary back then was, you know, kindergarten through seventh. And so I got an academic award for high achievement in elementary school. And so it's always just kind of been a part of who I am. I study hard. I'm one of those people that had to study, though. I, I didn't come naturally. I had to really study and, and, and work hard for it. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned cheerleading, but you were also a competitive swimmer. What got you into that sport? My dad. My dad, not only was he a football coach, but he's uh, he was my first swim coach. Um, ah. Yeah, he grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, so he was very... He grew up around water, um, the beach, and and all of that, and so that's all they did in the summer times was go to the beach, go fishing, go crabbing, and you know that kind of stuff. And so we were always, I was always enamored of the water. And um, he was a guy that coached the local neighborhood swim team. And back then, DeKalb County, where I'm from, Decatur, was predominantly white at the time, and so mm-hmm. we had this this neighborhood where with all these families, black families, white families, we came together, um, you know, swimming. And so the young ladies who I started off swimming with, we were about, I started swimming competitively when I was five. I learned how to swim at three, but started swimming. Like we were really serious about it around seven, eight. And we had a relay team that broke records throughout our entire time um, in summer swim league. And then we eventually started swimming year round, we took it much more seriously. And, you know, these, these women, these other three women were bridesmaids in my, my, my wedding. And uh, one of them still volunteers with Sporty Girls. Uh, and uh, we just recently lost one to cervical cancer. So that's been tough, but all because of swimming. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was the sport that brought us all together, and, and which is the reason why I started my nonprofit, Sporty Girls, because I wanted to not only afford girls, the exposure to swimming, soccer, tennis, golf, and lacrosse. But my most important um, goal was that, you know, the friendships and the bonds that you develop through sport, they're lifelong. And um, I've seen that in some of the programming that we've been able to offer in and around the, the uh, metro Atlanta area. It was really, it goes back to my dad introducing me to, to, to um, swimming at a young age. So it's a part of the fabric of who I am. Well, it's so commendable that you all were able to get so far in that sport, considering that many girls mm-hmm. of color do not like to swim for obvious reasons. That, right. <laughs> hair. Hair. Yeah. And all four of us, all four of us went to college on swimming scholarships. So two went to FAMU, one went to Howard and one went to Georgia Southern. And we all got uh, scholarships to swim. So, so how yeah. did you get past the hair thing? Well, you know, it really wasn't a thing for us back then in the, in the you know, 80s you know it was like you swam and you just you just did your hair or not <laughs> I mean it wasn't like a you know in the summertime I looked horrible like I was truly a daddy's girl and I had daddy daughter hair like you know that wasn't a thing for me and I guess growing up like tomboy my you know my mom and dad not really putting that much focus on hair or anything that you know mater- not material things but like um we were just swimming. I didn't even care about my hair, but I can tell you this because of all of the things that I went through with my hair at a young age, 
I my hair can can sustain anything. <laughs> I can do. I mean, I, whatever. It's whatever. So hair has always been an excuse for me when it came to to women and black women in particular in swimming. So because because I did it all. I mean, I had a bob, I had short hair, long hair, whatever. I just I just did it. It was never a uh-huh. thing. Do you still swim today? Yeah. Well, see about that. <laughs> um, because I swam my entire life, like literally started swimming competitively at five. And my last competitive meet was when I was uh, 21. That was a long time. And uh, yeah, I picked up running and other things because, you know, once you're an athlete, you're going to want to continue to, well, at least for me uh, and most athletes that I know, want to continue to do something in their lives um, to stay fit. And so I just picked up other things. But I did train for I've done two um, sprint triathlons, and so during that time, I, you know, I'll train and, and and swim a little bit. But it's one of those things that I can, you know, if I had to do a triathlon, like I'm not going to overly train because I can do 1,000 meters or 1,500 meters with, without really having to train that much for it because it's just, it's just, it comes so naturally to me. Well, tell us about your favorite coach growing up, like their, their name Ooh. and um, how they really played a huge role in your life. Oh my. My favorite coach. I mean, I, I would, ha- you know, it seems like cliche, but I mean, it had to be my dad, like, because he didn't, um, there was no favorite. And I'm, I'm a daddy's girl, but when we hit that pool, like, it didn't matter. You had to work. And he was old, he was old school with it. So, like, right before, like, maybe a midweek, um, a midweek workout would include us wearing all of our like clothes. So we would wear full shirts and jeans and shoes and it would produce, it would um, have, it would, um, it would be called drag in the pool. So you would swim, you know, do an entire workout with all of this drag on. Because really? it was, yeah, essentially like um, weights in the wow. water. Wow. And we would, uh, and then when we take it off, you would feel so much faster and you know, you had, you worked out. And I don't think, any other coach ever did that. Even when I got higher in um, sport, like higher in swimming, no other coach did that. And we broke records with my dad. Like we, mm. the first record we, we broke, that record stood until um, three years ago. We broke it in 1985. And he was our coach when we broke those, we broke that record, that wow. first record. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that was in DeKalb County Summer Swim League. So he was... Yeah, it had to be my dad. Wow. He's the first person that comes to mind. And and there was no, you know, like I said, no favoritism. My nickname is Fats. He's like, Fats, get in the water. Get in, you know, and we had to do it. We had to do it. But it, um, it taught me just how to be a winner in life and, lo- and learning how to take losses, literally and figuratively, um, and be able to get back up on the block and do it again. And I think that's why... I'm so resilient in my everyday life because, you know, sport teaches you how to lose, but it teaches you maybe equally or even more importantly, how to lose and get back up to get the win again. So I know I'm better for it because of sports. Yeah. When did you make the decision to go to FAMU? So my brother went to Tennessee State and my brother and I are are extremely close. Um, And so I visited, I visited Tennessee State when I was, uh, well, I visited all the time, all the time because he played football there. So we'd always go up there and I loved Tennessee State. I mean, Mm -hmm. I loved it. I applied to Tennessee State. I got into Tennessee State, but at the time my SAT scores weren't that high. And so I didn't get any money, but then I took the SAT again and my scores finally, you know, went over, I think it was 1100, went over, that was when it was based on 1600. So when I got that score, like more schools like, hey, you got a 4.02 and an 1100. We can do something with this and start school. Other schools started calling. So I got accepted into Jackson State academic program, North Carolina A&T. But then I always had been uh, fascinated with FAMU, too, because my god sister and my godparents went to FAMU. So I was going to Tennessee State, but also I went to a couple of FAMU homecomings. And my God. Wow, that was incredible. So uh, I did apply to FAMU as well, but then uh, I got a call from the, uh, I think I applied for a presidential scholarship and got that. And then I don't know how the FAMU swim coach found out that I swam and he Mm -hmm. called 
and then you get this academic money. I got a journalism scholarship and then I got a swimming scholarship. So not only did I get a full ride, but I got extra money for four, you know, every semester I got extra money for four, you know, the refund check was amazing back then. (laughs) And so uh, it, it wasn't even my plan to swim um, I thought I was just going to be finished with it, even though I was really good. It wasn't one of those things. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to college to, to swim. I think I had gotten burnt out because, w- w- you know, when you start a sport so young um, and you do it year round for so long, you be, you can become burnt out. And so um, I had gotten to that place. But when they came with that money, I was like, well, I guess I can muster up four more years. And I'm really glad that I did. I'm really glad that I did. It was an amazing experience. Wow. You walked on that campus as a freshman. What did you hope to get out of college after the day you graduated? Well, because my parents met in college, I was like, well, I hope I meet my husband. Um, I hope I become an AKA. (laughs) Um, But I think I was I was just allowing myself to experience whatever college was like. And um, because both of my parents went to Delaware State, which um, uh, was an HBCU, like they always preached HBCUs to us because it was, um, they were just, they were just so for it. And so I just know I wanted to have a good time. My brother was already at Tennessee State, so I was able to like have some type of experience when he came home and hung out with his friends. And I always kind of hung out with older people because he was older and I, and I was always around the, the high school because my dad coached there. So I always kind of not skewed older, but had a lot of older friends. So I was ready for whatever college had to offer, and I tried to do every single thing I could. But being a student athlete t- takes an, a, an entirely different type of discipline than a regular student. I, I just truly believe that because I lived it. I mean, I swam from August, and our um, championship meet was in February, and we got out of school in March. So I really didn't kick it like most college students. But that last month, that February to March, you, you just, I got it all the way in. Yes, I did. <laughs> So I really don't know if I had a particular goal as to what I wanted to do prior to, uh, you know, you know, as a freshman and and then graduating. I just know I wanted to experience as much as I could because I knew, as my parents had told me, that this would be the this would be the best time of your life. And Mm -hmm. oh, you don't really get it until you get it. And when I got it, it was, in retrospect, the most exciting time in my entire life. So exciting. I love it. Wow. Well, how did dating impact your collegiate and professional journey? Because I know sometimes that could like get in the way or help. Oh, yeah. Well, so I didn't meet, well, an amazing young man. Um, We dated all four years at FAM, um, but he was the cat. He was the president of the Kappas and he had done all his little stuff. So by the time I got there, little cute freshman with a bob with saggy uh, guest jeans on and looking like T-Bobs from TLC, you know, Atlanta girls were lit. They was, woo, Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. So he locked me down early and uh, he had already done his, you know, had his fun. So I spent like three and a half years very tied down to my military boyfriend because he had graduated and and all of that. And he was um, a commissioned officer and all that stuff. So I really thought I was going to be a military wife, but it was that senior year when I was like, man, I got to live a little. And did I? <laughs> did I? I did, but I was still committed, quote unquote. And uh, after that year, I got back home to Atlanta and I was like, yeah, about that life I didn't spend at Tallahassee. I I sure did live it up in the ATL for a little bit. Um, But I ended up marrying an amazing young man from FAMU. And he he and I, Brian, my husband of almost 16 years now, um, we kissed when we were freshmen. And I ended up, like I said, dating um, a, a very nice young man, Cedric, for four years. <laughs> and he had his girlfriends and all this stuff. But we always were very cool. And we reconnected um, when we both graduated and moved back to Atlanta. Uh, so dating was fun. But I'm glad that God protected me from having, from mm. not being in a, from protecting me from, um, kind of just being too free mm-hmm. because he knows his child. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know who the, that Rashawn would have manifested into being when I was at FAMU. And I'm being very honest with that. I don't know who I would have been because I, you know, nobody was around. I just don't know. 
I just you just never know. So I'm really glad that I was in that relationship. And I'm also very glad that Brian and I got engaged before I was full throttle into radio. Um, I, I, I'm very thankful for that mm-hmm. because you can't, I mean, you just, I, out. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying anything bad about myself, but God knows the things that needed to be in order before I was able to get everything that he was ready to give me. All right. Well, this is a great yeah. transition. So let's talk about your first job and what you did specifically to get your foot oh. in the door. So my journey is very, um, oh, it's, it's so many twists and turns. I think like all of us. So I really wanted to go to film school and, uh, I got into American university. This is right after FAMU went up to DC and visited the school. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so in love. I'm going to move to DC. I'm going to get my master of arts. This is great. I really wanted to be in the Ava DuVernay's of the where I was a director. Like even the, the, um, the line that I brought in, um, as a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, um, I, I, they gave me a director's chair. I was their assistant dean, and it was, you know, I had a director's chair, big sister tight to death, and, you know, just all of these things. Everybody knew that was my dream, but my mother told me no for no apparent reason. My, you know, my, both my brother and I went to college for absolutely free. I don't know if she thought that I was, like, chasing after my then-boyfriend who lived in D.C. I really wasn't. I was trying to get my master's to become to become a filmmaker. And so I really did not have a plan B, C, D, E, F because I really, really wanted to go to grad school. I wasn't even ready to like be in the world like that. I wasn't ready because I graduated in four years. In retrospect, you know, well, I think I did everything at FAMU. I feel like there was a lot missing because I did everything in four years. Um, So my first job was through a family hookup at the Atlanta Board of Education in the accounts payable department. And here I am, you know, having this degree and now I'm working and people think, because I still look young, that I'm a student, that I'm an intern, and I'm in this asbestos field, like, building. Like, wow, this these lofty dreams that I have, like, and I'm here. And uh, that could have easily broken me, but that wasn't my, you know, I did that and then I worked at... Um, uh, Camelot Music that was in South Decat Mall. I worked in another music store in Greenbrier Mall. I'm just trying to figure this life thing out. And I also worked Countdown to Signing Day. So I've, I've done, I did so much um, before I got my opportunity in radio. And so that happened because everything leads up. And it's a long story, but I'm trying to make it as short as possible. So one of my friends who, who uh, one of the swim team members, there you go, again, was working at an insurance company and her boss was talking to the president of Left Eye Productions and all of us who grew up on TLC know Left Eye from that amazing group. And so she was looking for an assistant and he was like, and she said, do you know anybody that'd be interested in it, in, in a job like that? And my friend said, well, my, fr- my um, swim team mate or is, and friend uh, is really into like, you know, um, entertainment. She might want to do that. Literally got the call from Ida Hall and um, she was like, hey, I'm, you know, she left the message with my parents because I was back living at home and my dad left a message for me on my bed. That was before cell phones and all that stuff. Well, at least, you know, the readily accessible cell phones. And he was like, hey, Ida Hall from Left Eye Productions called Left Eye Needs a New Assistant. And I was like, uh-uh, she burned down houses. I ain't doing that. You know, that's what I said in my head. And, you know, because that was during the height of, you know, TLC, but something told me to go ahead and, and call, and I did. And I think that was like a Wednesday. I was her personal assistant by Friday. Wow. So that was, yeah, that was um, a very interesting experience. You get to see artists and what they deal with, especially, um, you know, uh, this was the biggest selling group of, biggest selling female group of all time at this point in her career. You saw leech, leech folks that leech on, lurkers, all of that stuff. And you also see, you know, um, people like Lisa who were just trying to figure life out. And um, even in my young age, she told me, she was like, you're, you are one of, the, I really like you being around because you're one of the only people around me that doesn't want anything from me. Mm. And that was the truth. And she also said, you're a superstar. And so I'll never forget those things that she told me. So fast forward, I stopped working with her. I worked at LaFace Records, her record label. So I was in the music video department and was responsible for putting you know, all these big music videos on. So here I am, 22, flying across the picture, and Tony Braxton, and 
you know, all of these things. So I went from being high, 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 I mean, being low to this amazing high and then trying and um, flying first class. But then L.A. Reid and Babyface sold LaFace back to Arista. So I'm out of a job. So then I go back to the accounts payable department, that same job that I had left like three years prior. And I'm like, oh, my God, this can't be my life. So one day I was literally on listening to the radio on Hot 107.9. Ryan Cameron was like, I'm looking for a new co-host, this, that, and the other. This is the, these are the requirements. And I was like, man, I did radio in college. I had a very popular show on Monday nights. I had a great personality. And I was like, man, I got to try something because this ain't it. And literally, that is how my life changed. Um, I auditioned. Uh, uh, it was like 500 people that auditioned for this job. Uh, I, I got the gig along with my friend CJ. But I was like the main co-host um, for him. And that was when I was 26 years old. And that is how my career started in this entire uh, media field. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a journey. So... Would you say which one of those experiences were the biggest risk you ever took? Was it, you know, being the personal assistant of Left mm-hmm. Eye or trying out yeah. for this radio Yeah, that show? was a big risk. Not a big, big risk because I feel like at that point in my life, I didn't really have anything to lose. Um, I had tried everything. I was trying to make it. And then, you know, when your dreams get... Um, when you have a detour in your dream that you have for yourself and is based on someone else, that was my mom who did that. And she later apologized saying that that was the greatest mistake she made as a parent because here I am trying to figure life out when I had a plan for myself. Um, and so uh, that's why now I try to, whatever my children say they want to do or don't do, don't want to do, I'm like, let's do it or let's not do it. You know, I want them to feel okay with making those decisions on their own. Um, so I would probably say that that was that was a step out. I mean, I, I, I took a, a leap of faith with that one. But also when I left V103 in 2010, um, because I just didn't want to be there anymore. They didn't want me. I didn't want to be there. And I mean, um, speaking about my departure from V103 and um, to, to pursue television and pursue other opportunities, that was a huge risk as well. Um, and I ended up back in radio. So it's like, oh, I said all these things. Now I'm back in radio. So God has used me in so many different ways um, in the public eye. Being on billboards and buses on, and billboards on 285, like my face, to being unemployed not once, not twice, but three times. And people knowing you in the unemployment office and knowing that they used to listen to you on the radio you um, waiting on that $300 every Thursday um, morning when you would make $300 an hour for a club appearance. You know what I mean? So really going through, I've been through the fire. I really, really have. Um, But I'm glad that I'm here and able to talk about it. I truly have a testimony. I truly have a testimony. So a lot of my steps in my career have been... um, know those uh, risk-taking opportunities, but I'm glad that I had the heart enough to do it. Now, what inspired the start of your podcast, Cool Soror? Was it this transition? Yeah. So in 2016, I was still doing my Falcon show that I hosted on, co-hosted with DJ Shockley, former UDA superstar, and he played for the Falcons as well. Um, he and I were doing a show for, for the Falcons as stated. And so it was just once a week, but it was just doing football season. So I had a lot of freelance jobs, you know, and then I was just like, man, I need something that's mine because I'm tired of people telling me I'm not, I was always like the bridesmaid when it came to jobs, like at CNN, when I was a, the um, sports reporter, a sports anchor for the weekend um, express I was just the freelancer. Like they never hired me on, you know what I mean? And like other opportunities, I was just a freelancer. At MATV, I was just a freelancer. There was no black women on their um, broadcast staff, but they never hired me. You know what I mean? And so I was looking back and like, man, I need something that's mine. And my business partner, AJ, we had done like um, a webinar called The Sidekick when I was to break into the radio business, but that was kind of like a one-off at the time. And I was like, I just need mine. And I remember I was on East West Connector and I felt God, the God in me and the external God say, everything that you need to go to the next level, I've already given you. 
I've already given you. And I'm like, what does that look like? And so even months or maybe a year went by and I still hadn't figured that out. So I, and I'll just remember a lot of these moments. They're so vivid. I was walking up to a party at Top Golf. I had on some Uggs, some camouflage pants, uh, um, never sold dope sweatshirt. Shout out to Keenan Johnson, the Maven brand. And I, my hair was laid and I had my Louis backpack. And I was telling, I talked to myself. I was like, man, I'm such a cool soror. And I was like, oh, cool soror. I was like, this, this. Cool. So I literally walked into Top Golf. I don't even know if I went directly to where the party was taking place, but I reserved everything Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the website. I reserved everything that I could because I knew if I was thinking about something like that, you, as soon as you start thinking about something, then you get to it too late. You're like, dang, I should have done it then. And at that point, it was just a t shirt idea. Because I was like, ooh, if I did a t-shirt idea, I don't really have to talk to anyone's national headquarters because I'm not using the logo. Right. I'm, all, I'm, I'm not using their symbol or anything like that. It'll just be, you know, I'll get cool sword trademark, which I did. Yay. Um, <laughs> then, you know, I could just use the colors. And I told him, I told AJ, and he was like, yeah, that's cool. And then literally two weeks later, he called and he was like, you know, that I've been telling you and trying to push you to do a podcast. What if you did a podcast where you interview women from all sororities about their lives? And I was like. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Cause I do know how to interview. I know how to do radio. So I literally taught myself how to do a podcast. I went on YouTube and I researched how to record on GarageBand. Cause I didn't want to, to buy any other, um, program. I didn't have the money. So I was like, I got to teach myself what I have. So I have GarageBand. I had a Mac. And so I taught myself how to do, uh, um, how to record a podcast and, my uh, AJ got me some microphones. We got some mic stands, and we've been rolling ever since. Six hundred thousand downloads later, um, here we are. Uh, yeah, I love that story. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Okay, so you also um, before then you actually launched your your nonprofit organization, which you kind of mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, obviously, we know what the push was. I mean, you grew up in a family of sports, and you wanted to introduce this to other uh, girls, but. Really, how let's talk about like when you started it to now and how you've seen the organization grow. Wow. So in 2006, that's when the seed was planted and we started real programming around 2000, late 2007, 2008. Once we got all our paperwork together and everything like that. And in the beginning, we were basing our program off of the grants that we could receive. Big no no for nonprofits if you want to stay the course of what your vision is for your nonprofit. So we got money from the Women's Sports Foundation. We teamed up with um, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, the Joseph Joseph Whitehead Boys and Girls Club, the Villages of Carver YMCA. And while that programming was good, it really wasn't what I wanted. Uh, and uh-huh. that was before I had children or Bailey was, I don't remember, um, but Bailey was really young. So we had to, we were there like twice a week. It was just a lot of time being put in and not that these girls didn't deserve that time, but that is, that was not the vision. And I remember it was a clear, I just remember these clear moments, like those defining moments. There was one little girl we had, we used to bring them Moe's like try to do like healthy meals. And we had gone from doing like a regular Moe's plate to like the kids plates. And this little girl was like, Oh, sporty girls in a recession. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say thank you to this opportunity because we wanted to be around young people that would appreciate our programming. And not that she didn't, Mm -hmm. but those were just those little pivotal moments that I said, all right, I'm never going to um, change my program based on a grant. And I stopped doing that. So Mm -hmm. we started doing um, camps and clinics and the things that we had originally thought of doing for sporty girls. And so, yes, we've grown exponentially and we've seen girls changed. We've seen, um, you know, the importance that sport has played in so many of these young people's lives. And uh, right now, you know, we have one collegiate uh, athlete who is at Grambling State University playing soccer. But what we've learned is, you know, um, our focus was to get these girls scholarships, but what we were seeing as a pattern, that the girls were just becoming better people and students. So we took the focus on getting them collegiate scholarships and just put the focus back on how are we preparing the total girl through sport? 
and uh, making sure that the academics and the athletics were, were equal. We took a hiatus in 2017 because I got tired. Honestly, I got tired and I almost grew so weary that I was like, you know what? That was a great chapter. We, we affected a lot of change and we were able to inspire a lot of girls, but I'm done. But I don't, you know, and then Shaquille O'Neal gave us a huge donation on national television. I was like, I guess I'm not done. Wow. I guess. Wow. <laughs> Gotta keep the keep it going. And then we revamped. Um, the the board president at the time stepped down, which was a good move for 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 every part for each party involved. And we got a new president and we have an amazing board. Real. Uh-huh. So real hard working people. Not that my lat my my, all of my boards have been great for that moment, but now to con- completely grow Sporty Girls and where it needs to be, I, for one, had to grow and understand the influence that I have and trust that, and then two, being able to really be the founder I've driven enough buses, I've gotten enough power aid, <laughs> I've gotten enough water to be able to say that. And I'm not saying that with arrogance or any type of um, any type of narcissism. It's because I'm ready to be able to let other people govern it and I can sit back and say, wow, this baby truly has grown. And it is. And I'm and for the first time in a long time, we just had an amazing event a couple of weeks ago. I sat back and did interviews and uh, took pictures and it was fantastic and they didn't even let me work uh, Mm -hmm. which was great and uh, so I've seen it grown in so many aspects but you know most importantly we've been able to um, influence or uh, or uh, serve over a thousand girls in and around the metro Atlanta area and I know because I was obedient to the call that God had given me that only on the uh, participant side but our volunteers and our board members as well. So what would you say has been your proudest moment in your career? Mm. I'm very proud of Sister Circle. I really am because I talked about the podcast. And while I was teaching myself how to do all of that, I put out a post, like a a preview, like coming soon, the Cool Sore podcast. That took so many that took that took guts to post that because I was never the I was always the person that kind of waited for things to happen and I know it's going to land in my lap but I had to go show the universe that I was walking in my own light and the lip and literally that same week that I posted about me starting this podcast in the same week, I got a call about a show that they were casting for, and it was a talk show. And I was like, wow. And it was Sister Circle. And I got, had a first, my, had two meetings. Then we had auditions for the pilot, got chosen for the pilot. And then throughout that whole year of us waiting to see if we were going to be greenlit, I was continuing doing the podcast, doing my, you know, other stuff with the Atlanta Falcons. And we got greenlit last year, last May. And now we're, you know, eight, nine months in um, and I'm still doing the podcast because wow. <laughs> I didn't stop doing that because I still have to have, you still have to have your own. You still have to have something that you call your own. And that's my own. I've not made much money off of it. And I would encourage you as you, you know, are starting to matriculate through this podcast life, you will get weary. Mm-hmm. You will. But um, <laughs> you will reap if you faint not. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. So you've had um, several um, shifts in your career, but mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure there's been some shifts in money. And so, <laughs> how, how so how have you been smart about money? I think this is so I'm important not smart about for listeners money. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not. So the things that I have to, I am trying to improve on that. I've, I had, a, you know, I have a, a great husband who's a teacher, but we all know that teachers mm-hmm. need to be paid tripled, quadruple, you know, more than what they are paid. So it was but by the grace of God that we have been able to, you know, really sustain and maintain. Made some really bad decisions early on in my career in radio when I was doing extremely well uh, at the height of my radio career. Um, I, 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 
the height of my radio career and you don't really plan on getting fired, then you have a child in private school and then you dip into your 401k, which was substantially large. And now you don't have anything to show for it. So, you know, I, I, while I want to encourage your listeners, I also want them to uh, be mindful of those types of decisions that you make early on that uh, could be so detrimental to your um, sustainability and your um, your future when it comes to money. So I'm rebounding, honestly. This whole year has been about rebounding because you go from literally just trying to make your uh, one day a week on a TV show that's seasonal work for your family to now, you know, I'm doing okay, but I'm coming out of a hole too. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. coming out of a hole. So I, I'm starting to breathe a little bit, uh, but we still got it. We still got some, some, some hills to climb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I, I do see the bright side. I do see the bright side. Well, do you encourage um, young women to get a financial inv- advisor or maybe just a mentor that could help them? Yes, I do. And I wish I would have done that early when I, you know, um, when I was thinking about it, but, and then you also have to have a spouse who is willing to be open to go see a financial advisor. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, cause you don't want to do, you want to do it together, but then if, you know, it's, you know, money can be very, very, that is the number one reason that, you know, relationships fail. Not to say that ours is failing, but it's, it's always just touchy when it comes to money because I've wanted a financial advisor for years and I know that would be the perfect thing for us, but I don't want to go, obviously not behind his back, but I'm like, Hey, what about that? I revisit this conversation all the time, but for the sake of my children and then for the sake of trying to come up out of this hole, I'm just going to probably have to just go it alone and say, Hey, this is what she said (laughs) and we got to do this. Yeah. So it's the, yeah, yeah. So know what you're getting into and know what, you know, what people are comfortable with early on in your relationship. Not that it's too late, but I don't want it to become, you know, so bad that we can't pull ourselves out. That's just being honest. Yeah, exactly. You just have to show that bank statement. You'll show the bank statement after you do all the work and say, Hey, I was working on this and look, look at the results. Look look what happened. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a work right. in progress. <laughs> well, we'll be praying for you on that one. Thank you, sister. I know. Thank you. Because <laughs> if anybody knows, I know right. how it is to right. deal with a husband. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to do some rapid fire questions uh, that are very health and fitness related. Um, let's start off with just how you're able to manage being a mom of two beautiful girls, you know, a TV host, a wife, all of these things. Do you have any particular like apps or tools that you use to manage it all? Um, wow. Yeah. I, uh, the Nike training app is really good for, you know, quick workouts, especially if I don't want to go to the gym, shout out to total fitness revolution. That's my gym. It's right up the street. But if I don't want to, or if I'm at the station, there's a gym there. A Nike um, training um, app is really good for me for, for workouts. Um, I live by my my Google Calendar. It helps me out tremendously um, as far as trying to just stay organized. Um, I'm trying to think of other technology and other things that I use uh, on a day-to-day basis. But, yeah, I would say the Nike Nike training app and then my, my calendar keeps me try to, it keeps me sane. Okay. What have been some of your favorite books? Ooh, right now I am reading uh, Conversations with God by uh, Neil Walsh. Also Daring Greatly by Dr. Brene Brown. Talks about really, really utilizing your vulnerability for your own good. And, um, you know, I've just been on a a real different type of spiritual journey lately. Um, Just really trying to, others. for me, I feel like, I need to go deeper in my spiritual walk because I just feel like I, I've been nudged. I've been, something is nudging me to go deeper and have a true understanding of self and, uh, and soul and light and love and what all of that means in my world. And, um, just really trying to monitor my thought process Mm. And, uh, and those types of things. So as a man thinketh by James Allen is always, is a good one as well. So I try my best to feed 
my mind all the time. And so that's why I got um, audible books so that when I'm not physically reading a book, because I'm still one of those paper people, I love a book, but I want to be able to feed my mind in the car too. So I just put my Bluetooth audio on and I listen to books in the car. Okay. So what are some small things you do each and every day that make you happy? Mm. Oh, man. Um, meditation, for sure. Just having quiet time and and then professing things in my meditation as, as I want to see them play out in my life. Um, that makes me happy. Uh, obviously my, my children make me happy in their smiles. Um, but for me personally, I, I, I do love self time. I love quiet. I love my backyard because it's just, um, greenery and, uh, sunlight. I like just, I love my self time. I really, really do. Yeah. Mm. So it's the end of the day and you're like, man, that was a good day. (laughs) What does a successful day look like for you from beginning to end? When I'm able to accomplish my to-do list, (laughs) oh, that looks like a good day. Or when I, I love being with friends. I do love spending time with um, my friends, but like on a day-to-day basis, when I'm able to have accomplished the things that I set out to do for that day. And as a creative, like I have to like really stay focused on trying to get things done that I want to get done. Like today is going to be a great day. I'm already home and I'm glad that we're doing this podcast because now I can really do some Rashawn stuff that I've been meaning to do for quite some time. So yeah. So when I can accomplish that, I'm I'm good to go. (laughs) How many times do you work out each week? I try to get in um, four times a week. Um, I've been averaging less than that. But uh, four times a week is is appropriate for me. Mm. And you, yeah. your favorite workouts? Oh, spin, spin. Yeah, spin class. Yeah, spin class is the most fun. Yeah, especially with great ratchet music. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, it is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and what's always in your gym bag? My gloves, my um, for, so I can lift weights, the little gloves. Okay. And then also... Uh, um. I like pre-workout, a little pre-workout to get you kind of hyped up for the workout. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you typically eat before and after a workout? Um, I got to do better with my preparing for a workout and knowing what my body needs right after a workout. But uh, I don't have anything in particular that I do sometimes because my workouts are so random now and I'm just trying to get them in when I can. Um, But Mm -hmm. I got to do better with kind of like, being regimented when it comes to that. Or are there any foods that you indulge in from time to time that are like your, your cheat day foods? Oh, any French fries. <laughs> yeah. I love for If I could eat French fries every day and not gain a pound or have a blocked artery, like I would eat French fries every single day. But I resort, resort to one time a month, I give myself French fries. Okay. And, yeah. and what are your go-to beauty products? What would we find in your bathroom? Um, right now I am doing, is it Tierra Goes Green? She's on Instagram. She has a um, moisturizer for your face. That's really, really nice. I think it's called Face Flavors. Yeah, but I, I love that. And I go to the beauty supply store to get this $1.59 gloss <laughs> by, by J. Okay. Carr. It's called, and, and, and it's one twenty seven is what I use. It is nude. And it's, I keep one in almost every bag that I have because I never want to be without it. It's a dollar fifty nine. I love it. Oh, wow. I like yeah. that tip. I'm going to have to go find that. Yeah, okay. Yes, yes. Which deodorant is, is a must for you? So, um, I, because I'm, you know, really cognizant of like parabens, you know, all that stuff, parabens and all that kind of stuff. Um, I use the, what is it? Crystal essence spray. It's like, doesn't have any of that stuff in it, but because I'm on TV now, TV sweat is a little different. I'll put on a, <laughs> sometimes I'm going to, I'm going to need some of that antiperspirant. Uh, it's a little different, but, uh, yeah, I think it's crystal essence. If I can't, if I, if I'm not mistaken, and then I'll put on some secret probably on the TV days when it's like, yeah, don't even try it with the natural stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what do the words pretty girl sweat mean to you? 
It means no matter what, get out there and break a sweat. Get out there and break a sweat. You have to. You mm-hmm. have to. It's it's a way of life. But get out there and 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 uh, and work hard, no matter what's going on, because you gotta you you gotta push through. You gotta push through. Well, what's next for you? Ooh, next for me. I want to have global impact, whatever that looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, whether it's, you know, know, I I don't know specifically what it looks like, but I know I want Rashawn Ali to be known not only just in Atlanta or, you know, on some, in some national aspect, but global impact, meaning how, how can you have an impact on this entire world? I just don't want to be the cool chick who's from Decatur, Georgia, you know, uh, represents it. I've done that. I'm ready to do more. Someone is depending on your obedience to your purpose. Please explain (laughs) this. Your, well, our journeys have less to do with us and more to do with other people witnessing it. People are going to look or people are watching you no matter if you think they are or not. And they're also seeing how you respond to certain situations. When I got let go from all of these stations and when, you know, I'm sure some folks are wondering, where is she? Is she not even in media anymore? It's all about the resiliency and how you respond to what looks like the valleys or could be the valleys um, in your life because someone else is depending on you so that they too can make the right decision. So there's a little girl in Arkansas who may be watching me on TV and how I move and following me on Instagram and seeing what I do. And then when it comes a time in her life to say, man, this is similar to what such and such went to, went through, but how am I going to respond? Oh, I saw how she responded. So let me, respond in that way so that I can be better for it or seeing some of the missteps that I may have taken and not making those missteps themselves. So, um, I know that, I know that I, that, that there's a responsibility that comes along with each and every platform that we have, whether you work a a nine to five or whether you're an entrepreneur, someone is watching you. You're a superstar in every sphere of influence that you have. Um, so what are you going to do with the platform? How are you going to be different? So I just believe that somebody's waiting or watching me and how I respond to certain things. And so I have to be obedient to what is right in my world so that they can as well. And that's Rashawn. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at Rashawn Ali, her nonprofit at Sporty Girls Inc., and her podcast at Cool Soror, all on Instagram. You can also check out her website, RashawnAli.com. Just one more thing before you take off. Do you want to get a short email from Pretty Girl Sweat every Monday and Friday that serves as a daily dose of all things inspiring and allows you priority access to our upcoming events? Just go to prettygirlsweat.com. That's prettygirls with an S, sweat.com. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. And if you sign up, you'll soon discover that there's no hood like sisterhood. Until next time, always remember that good things come to those who sweat.